Okay, we're live. All right. In chapter 9 of the book of Acts, we're going to get into the conversion of Paul, or at that point in time, Saul. Okay, There was a name change that happened, which was significant back in that day. When, when, when there was a significant happen, happening in somebody's life, sometimes you had a name change. Well, we've seen, uh, you know, we, you see this throughout the scripture where uh, the Apostle Paul, who was once Saul, gets saved and now he becomes Paul. Okay, Peter's name changed as well uh, when Jesus had nicknamed him. You know, he was uh, Simon, son of whatever, and then, then he became Peter, then he became, became the rock, you know. Um, so there's some name changing going on a little bit. When something significant happened in your life, sometimes you got a name change to, to, to show forth the significance of what happened. That being said, I want to read to you some of this. Uh, this is out of the New King James Version. There's some of this that was not found in the original Greek, but we're going to keep it in there just because it was added at some point in time, which is significant in the fact of what was said. So we're going to go with this. But it says, Then Saul... In chapter 9, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, now that's very significant, the way, okay, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said two things he said, which is very significant. He said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That was not found in the original Greek. In the most ancient of the manuscripts, that was not found. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. But I'm going to explain to you what a goad is here in just a minute. So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The second question, which is most significant that you need to know. One, who are you? Two, what do you want me to do? Very significant. Take note of that in your mind, on your books, in your tablets, whatever you're doing. Take note of that. Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days there without sight and neither ate nor drank. So he was fasting. Okay. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord, you know, Jesus, I've heard many uh, things about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. 
And the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. And so, he, so when, when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Father in heaven, we pray to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask for wisdom, guidance, and leadership as we read and go into the word now, Lord, that your anointing would come upon me, Lord, for I am nothing without you. I am just words of man, and we do not need words of men. And we just ask you to speak now, for your servants are listening. Give us ears to hear as the Spirit gives us, Lord, the utterance this morning, that we may hear what your word is saying and then transfer it to our heart, that we may live it and know it. And God, we ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. This, this particular chapter begins Saul's conversion. So for the first eight chapters of the book of Acts, Saul is a participant on the devil's side of things. Up to this point, the ministry was more pointed towards what Peter was doing and the apostles, and more so Peter because he was kind of the one in charge at the time and all the things that God was doing with the disciples up to this point. But things was about ready to take a drastic change in this chapter 9. So the Apostle Paul or Saul back in this day was so enraged at the way. Now that's significant that it was called the way. Because the reason why it was called the way is because Jesus himself said, I am the way. So this was a direct quote from Jesus Christ. This was, they called it the way because Jesus said that he was the way. So that's very significant. If someone asks you, what, what is your religion? What is the, what is the, 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 practice, the practice that you have spiritually? You can say, I'm of the way. The way, that, the way that Jesus Christ made. The way, the truth, the life, and the way. Because that's what he said. And so the apostle or the, uh, the early churches, the, the, the Pharisaic churches, was attempting to snuff out the people who were of the way. Paul was so, or Saul was so enraged at this time against the way that he went to the high priest and the high priest gave him documents to present to all the churches that was throughout Damascus. The reason for that was that was the way in which the people had, had took to avoid persecution. They had fled to Damascus. They were under such persecution that they had to try to get out of Jerusalem in order to flee that for they feared for their very lives. Saul was going along, you know, Stephen had just been martyred. You know, the apostle Stephen or the deacon Stephen, the first deacon, he stood there. Saul was there approving of this thing when he was stoned to death because he was of the way. And so people seeing this said, listen, we're out of here, man. And so they fled into Damascus. A great many of them did to try to avoid this great persecution that was going on. Now, the Damascus road was one. Uh, if you read the historical uh, documents regarding the Damascus Road, it was full of thieves and robbers. It was a place that you could get ambushed very easily. 
It was a place where people had to be on guard because there was a lot of stuff, typically bad stuff that would happen on that Damascus road. And you had to usually take some sort of weaponry or some sort of guards with you as you went through there because there were so many thugs that lined the road and would hide and wait trying to take people's things as they were fleeing. But on this Damascus road, uh, Saul didn't know it, Paul didn't know it, but his life was about ready to take a dramatic change. Okay, He had one thing in his heart that day and he didn't know that his life was going to or his heart was going to be totally changed in the very next few moments. On his way to Damascus, he had intentions of taking prisoner and killing, if need be, any believer of the way that he could find. This was his mindset. It's very important to see this. Because true Christianity is marked by true change. A person begins one way, and when they get saved, they become something totally different. This didn't take a matter of time. This didn't take the J. Keaton three steps of tranquility into salvation for it to take place. It happened over the course of a second. And you see this murderous, Pharisee who thought that he was doing God's service change in a moment with an encounter with Jesus Christ. The problem is, is people are encountering Jesus in their mind, but they're not truly having an encounter with Jesus. This is so important that we understand this, that a true encounter with your Lord will save your life and will change you forever. This is exactly what I can't bring a better picture of grace and justification and salvation to you than this particular transformation that takes place right here. Because God didn't do anything no different for him than he does for anybody else. It was a little bit more dramatic because the Apostle Paul, in order to be Apostle, you had to have a personal relationship, a one-on-one physical relationship with Jesus Christ. You had to be able to see him. And know him. That was the difference between the apostles and us today. They lived with him. They knew him. That was a qualification of being an apostle. To be taught directly from Jesus Christ himself. Not by another man. Not be discipled by someone. But be taught by Jesus in the flesh. In which this happened to to the apostle Paul. He goes on later on to talk about this conversion in, in Acts 22. I believe when he's testifying before, before people, he begins to talk about his conversion and what happened and all this kind of stuff like this. You can read through there and find these different accounts throughout the scripture. So this is what happened to him. Transformation was getting ready to take place. He was uh, in this continual, relentless pursuit of Christians. That's what he was doing. He was so enraged with this that he wanted them dead. Okay? He wanted them dead. Now look at this as I'm going to go through this and I'm going to kind of exposit some of this. Okay? And and start in in verse 3 of chapter 9. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, I want to tell you that the fact that he heard a voice, there's pretty much three things here that you can sum up in what was going on here. He, heard, he saw a light, 
He heard a voice and he obeyed the call. That's what happened here. Now as he fell to the ground, this was very significant. You can take every piece of this and exposit this to the max. He fell to the ground. When one fell to the ground, that was an act of submission. You see this in, in, even in the book of Revelations where John sees Jesus and what did he do? He fell to the ground. He fell to the ground in total submission to his Lord. In reverence. The, the Saul seen this light, heard this voice, and he fell to the ground. Now, not only did he fall physically, but, but let me tell you something else that just happened. He submitted spiritually. He was humbled inside. Not only did he fall to the ground physically, he was humbled at that very moment. When God comes into your life in true in true nature like this, you will find yourself wanting to bow the knee. That's why the scripture says, every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow. Because you can't help but to want to bow down when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords approaches you in your life and in your heart. When this happened, he fell down. Humbled, physically Humbled spiritually. He heard a voice. Now these two questions that I, that I said here. First of all, Jesus, let me talk to you a little bit about what he said. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus did not say, why are you persecuting my church? Notice that. This is extremely important doctrinally for you to understand. John chapter 17, big John chapter 17, which I got Tomcat reading, you'll notice that Jesus says, I and you talking to the Father, and they and me. I'm in you, they're in me, we are all one. Jesus prayed for the church that we would be one with him, that where he is, we can be. And we can be one with the Father through Him. So, so rightly dividing the word, you see that in Christianity, you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because He also says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. I told a guy recently who was selling me something. He said, hey, he, and he said he was a Christian. I said, he goes, and what kind of price you want on this? I said, the same one that you'd give Jesus. Because he's in me. He looked down and he goes, oh gosh. So whatever you'd sell that to him for, I'll take that price. Thank you very much. That's hilarious. She's just even looking at his face. It's funny. Jesus said, I'm in you, you are in me, I am in the Father, we are all one. There is no differentiation here. He said to him, let me say this again, why are you persecuting me? I want you to remember that. Because what you do to the brothers, brothers and sisters of the church or in Christ, you are doing it to Jesus. Let me tell you something else. What you don't do to them, you're not doing it to him. 
Do you remember when he, when, he, when he had the people stand before him and he looked at them and he said, when I was thirsty, you gave me drink? Right? He's talking about whatever you do, you're doing it to me. And whatever you withhold, you withhold from me. This is how you have to live as a Christian. Especially to the believers. The, the, the Bible goes on to say, as we rightly divide the word, it says, you will be able to be noticed by the world for your great love that you have for one another. Because you understand this doctrine that whatever you do to each other, you're doing it to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to say that how can a man say that he has the love of God within him, that he's got the spirit of God within him when he has the substances of what his his brother or his sister needs and he does not give it to them? Because you're not doing that to God. In the book of Malachi, it says this, that you will a man rob God by not giving his tithes and offerings. You're robbing God because you're not giving to the believers. Because you're not giving it to Him. Do you see what I mean? See how this all ties in? You see what the way it is when God saves your life, He, he owns you. He owns you anyway. You are His, his creation, you see. Made in His very image. Made in His likeness. Born of His blood. Given, by, given, given spirit. Right straight from the breath of His mouth. The Bible says the body belongs to the Lord. He owns you. You see. And you have to give to Him. So this changes, this should change your outlook on things. It should humble you. Okay? He says, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you? Lord? Capital L. Not lowercase l, capital L, which is significant because he was calling him, are you the Lord? Remember, he's seen a light from heaven and he heard a voice talking to him. He asked the question. Second thing, Jesus says, I am Jesus. I am is very important because that is another name for God. Do you remember when Moses said, If you're going to send me to do this great deed into the Egyptian kingdom, who shall I say sent me? And God said, Tell them I am has sent you. I love that movie. I am that I am. I love that. You know, I love it. I love the mark. Moses. You guys remember that movie? That was so great. Moses. Take off thy shoes from off thy feet. From where thou standest is holy ground. I love that. Did you guys love that? I love that. You know? Oh, and a captain of the NRA was he. You know, that's great too. You know, not only was he Moses in the movie, but you know, he was also head of the NRA for many, many years. So it's another subject. But he says to him, I am Jesus. I am being God, Jesus being the Savior. He says, I am Jesus. And he looks 
And he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. I told you in the beginning of this was not in the original Greek manuscript, but it was found in the King James Version. Nobody knows where they got that from. But a goad, let me tell you what that is. A goad was something, something that they used on a big long pole and it had a spear tip on the end of it, a metal tip. And when they wanted the oxen to speed up, they'd give it a goad in the rear end, in the leg. And sometimes them big old oxen would kick back against that goad. But when they kicked back against the goad, the goad would go deeper, intensifying the pain. And would cause the oxen to speed up to try to get away from the goad. So what's intended for us to understand about you, it's hard for you to kick against the goads is this. The, the goad to the Apostle Paul or Saul at this moment was his conscience, his, his conscience, his conscience. The, the fact of what he had done, what he was getting ready to do to the believers, to the fact of everything that he had already done, to the people that he had killed, the lives that he had ruined. Jesus in whom he had persecuted. He thought on one hand he was doing God's service, but just now found out that he was absolutely wrong in everything he had ever believed. In the fact concerning the way. He thought that his intelligence was the key to his being right. But he found out that all he knew was nothing because his heart wasn't right. And because his heart wasn't right, he couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah. He was smart enough. He was intelligent enough. He was taught at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading scholar of the, of the Jewish law. But all that learning, the Apostle Paul later on said, I count it as dung that I may know and obtain Christ. That's all I need to know. Is Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the grave. All my intelligence means nothing. Because my heart wasn't right. And all of a sudden, he probably had thoughts of Stephen laying there, crying out Jesus' name, that now Saul knew was the true living God was Jehovah God Himself. And Saul, with his intense hatred of the church, his heart in a moment was changed. The hatred went to sorrow and conviction for what he had done. It went from intense hatred, thinking he's doing God's service, to intense, overwhelming conviction as the goad gouged his conscience, his conscience. The, the fact of his, his, his nature of, of, his, of his mind was changed. His conscience was torn in two for what he had done. And so he asked the second question. Trembling. The very fact that it was trembling and astonished. Trembling and astonished, two adjectives that describes the mindset and the soul of this new apostle as he's laying on the ground. Trembling and astonished. Trembling at the fact that here I stand before the God that I thought that I was serving. And I found out that I am not 
trembling at the fact that he now he finds out that he's not the saint that he thought he was. He's the biggest sinner on the planet facing hell. Astonished at the fact that he thought he knew God, but found out he didn't know anything about God. He thought he knew God because of the documents that he had read and the things that he was taught, but he realized he didn't know God at all. And so he asked the second question, which is evidence of true, sincere conversion. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? True conversion comes with a desire to be obedient. Remember that. True conversion. This statement that he asked, he asked, one, who are you? He found out he got saved. He changed. How can you say that he changed, Brother Jay? Because he didn't keep going killing people. Right? His mission suddenly changed. In the middle of one mission, he got a new one. Obedience, true conversion, is always marked by one's desire to be obedient to God. I have people tell me all the time, and I can tell when they're saved, when they're truly saved. Pastor, you know, I want to know more about God. Pastor Jay, I, how can, what can I do? What can I, what can I, was well, there something more I can read? I want to, that's their desire to be obedient to their Lord. Their heart is filled with God and they want more of God and they want to know what God wants them to do. Because you see, God always gives spiritual assignments to the saved. If you're saved, you have an assignment. Just like Paul got one. That's the mark of true salvation is the desire to be obedient. Never forget that. So important. Two questions. Who are you? You find out and then you believe it and then you're converted and you want to obey. That's, I mean, that is as simple as it can get, folks. That is as simple as it can get. This is true grace, true salvation, justification to the max right here. He asked the question, he found out, he obeyed, he believed it, and he obeyed. And then God immediately started working in his life. He found out what to do, and listen, as long as he was doing what Jesus told him to do, Jesus was at his next stop where he was going to be at. He said, I get up, I want you to go on in the, to, to, to Damascus. I'm going to have a dude named Ananias come pray for you. He went there, did as he said, did as Jesus said. Guess what happened? God come right there and did exactly what he said he was going to do. Now tell me that ain't faith building for Ananias and faith building for Saul. Because now they're finding out what Jesus said actually comes true. Now they're building their faith. Now they're growing in faith. They're growing in the knowledge of the Lord that listen, if I just obey, God will take care of the rest. He got up. He couldn't see. He was blind. He had seen this great light. 
And he needed healed. When he laid his hands on him, something like scales, it said, fell off of his eyes. And he gained his sight. Not only did he gain his physical sight, but what other sight did he gain? Spiritual sight. All of a sudden, things are looking differently. All of a sudden, things look a little different. Now his life has completely changed. Being filled with God's Holy Spirit, his heart changed. I mean, Ananias didn't even want to go pray for him because he was so mean. Because he was so hateful. Can you imagine the testimony, the witness? Man, here's a guy who was our arch enemy, who is now our biggest advocate. Who goes on to write the majority of the New Testament. And lives a life the rest of his years completely and utterly dedicated to Jesus alone. Wow. You know what that tells me? That God can make a difference in this world too. With everything that's going on and all these dumb riots taking place. The church really needs to be praying for some people to get saved. And they have their own Damascus Road stinking uh, interaction with Jesus. Listen to this. The question was asked, who are you? Then what do you want me to do? Significant of the fact that he got saved, he wanted to be obedient. Then the Lord told him, he said, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. So he did it. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. It wasn't permitted to them to see because they were not being called into the apostleship. And the men, then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus and he was there three days and night and neither ate nor drank. Now he had been journeying on this road to Damascus and I'm sure it was probably pretty hot and I'm sure he was probably pretty thirsty and I'm sure he was, you know, the, 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 the rule of threes is you can go three days without water. Right? So he didn't eat or drink anything for three days. This is how, this is how dramatically affected I mean, he was seeking God, that God's will, Jesus' will would be done, that he fasted until Ananias showed up. And that was a blessing to Jesus' heart. I mean, look at look how his intense desire was to persecute the way. That was transformed and then put into an intense desire to serve Christ. It was amazing. This was, man, brilliant that Jesus saved this man. Brilliant, brilliant of our Lord to do this. What, a, what an awesome thing. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. To him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. Remember, Jesus said to him in a vision. Didn't appear to him personally, but appeared to him in a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Look at the different responses between a believer and a non-believer. When Jesus spoke to Saul, Saul didn't know who he was. 
I'm going to tell you that God speaks to a lot of people. They don't know who he is. God might be speaking to people's heart in churches all across this land and they don't know who he is and they don't care to find out. But until you ask, who are you? And that is like coming to the altar. You're never going to find out. But look at the different responses here. Jesus said Ananias and he said he didn't need to ask who it was. Instantaneously, you know, the scripture says this. It says that my my sheep hear my voice. Listen, they know my voice and another they will not follow. Ananias is proof of that scripture. This is how you rightly divide the word, folks. The word interprets itself. Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Instantaneously, he knew who was speaking to him. Okay. And so the Lord said to Ananias, this is great stuff. When you're obedient and you say, yes, Lord, the Lord's going to further the conversation with you. You're talking about growing close close to the Lord. When God gives you something to do, it so ignites your heart to know that you're in the will of God. You're like walking right. There's There's a sense of closeness that God gives to a person who's obedient. It's a sense that you are walking the right path and God is right there and it it just can't be replaced with anything on this earth. Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one. I mean, look at all the stuff he told him. This was like very specific, right? Jesus tells him, go. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. He got up and he went. Are you sure, Lord? Man, this dude's this. I mean, Lord, I'll go. But, you know, sometimes God's going to ask a difficult thing of you. We always think that when we get saved, the road is now an easy path. Not so. God might just put you in a very un comfortable situation now we have the privilege of reading ahead Ananias didn't Ananias was making history as he was doing these things he didn't know it and the Lord now you talk about something that's that's you know here check this out okay now but before I stop and close I want you to hear this the Lord just asked him to go pray for a guy who would kill him are you aware of this? I mean, okay. He didn't know what had happened. He, Jesus had just told him, okay. But you're talking about acting in faith. Oh my goodness. Ananias didn't witness all this stuff firsthand. He's just being told in a vision. You're talking about believing and walking in faith. Jesus asked him, get up and go talk to this Pharisee. The, the dude that you heard about that will kill you. That's why he was coming to get you and throw you into jail. That would be like Jesus asking you to go pray for Saddam Hussein. If he was still alive. Yeah. Everybody's looking like, uh, okay, I'm getting that now. Yeah. Was this a setup? Some people, this, this is when my cell phone rings. Everybody go, do that. Do it, do it for me real loud. 
Hello? Yeah, this is Pastor Jay. God asked you to do what? Okay, so God asked you to go pray for some dude who was a killer of the church? Okay, okay. And you, you know it was the Lord, right? You hope so? Okay, if I need you to go. You need to do it. You need to... No, I'm not going with you. you God said you to do it. I know we're going to be the Charlie Brown, you know. This is Julie. Tom is crazy and lost his mind. He's going to pray for a dude on death row. You're not coming to church no more. Stop, Julie. Okay, so that's what's happening. So here goes... Ananias. Poor Ananias. We don't ever think about him, right? I could see him. Man, I can see the dude's house. Lord, please be with me. Lord, please be with me. Lord, please be with me. I see the guards of the temple standing there. Hi, how are you doing today? How are you? You're going to go in here and pray for this guy. I hope I don't get speared in the back. Oh my goodness, that guy's got an awful big sword on him. Okay, all right. Uh, I uh, Can you imagine what he said? Hello? Yeah, uh, I'm Ananias. Okay, and who are you? Well, Jesus sent me to pray for Saul. That was the moment of truth. Come on in. And he's probably going, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble now. But there laid Saul. We're not told exactly how he was received when Ananias walked in. But I'll bet you that it was a happy reunion. I bet you Saul cried out his name thanking God for him. I bet Saul cried out. Oh, thank God that you're here, my brother. Thank God that you're here. And he went and he laid his hands on him. And the power of the Lord was revealed to both of these men. One was in fear for his life and sight. One was in fear for his life. They both were afraid. And God settled them both with his power and with his grace And with his Holy Spirit, he saved Saul's life, healed his eyes, and increased Ananias' faith. Ananias must have been a very, very powerful spiritual, uh, spiritual man. And it was important that Ananias do this, not only for his faith, but to also spread the word to the church that Saul has been saved. And be a believable witness. God was working these things out. And this is just a brief synopsis of this little encounter that that Saul had. This began the life of Paul. The missionary journeys. The being being captive 
and going to Rome and testifying before kings and, 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 and all the work that he done in the New Testament churches and, and the demons that he cast out and his encounters with, with warlocks and witches and, and, and all kinds of things. This began that. And so begins your journey. You are all on a missionary journey. And we're running out of time. Time is short, folks. But God needs true believers to act in sincerity. To be obedient is the very fact and signifies true salvation. 